The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. In our Unitarian Universalist UU congregation of San Francisco world, and I don't know how much it's true for other religious communities around the country, around the world, I have found that when we enter the world of talking about God, we enter carefully. And we enter with great tenderness, aware that this particular landscape of language and lived experience is one in which there is often an enormous amount of pain and hurt. Not everyone has felt rescued or assured in a weak and despairing moment the way Dennis did by a mention of a God and what that God thought or believed about us. God talk has, for many of us, shown up weaponized, often in the hands and mouths of folks who seemed magically <laughs> to know exactly who God is, or talk as if they did, people who magically seemed to know exactly what God wanted, or who she loved or didn't, talked with amazing certainty about whom God would damn and who was the true secret favorite of the divine. In a lecture that my friend, and now professor of philosophy and the director of undergraduate studies at Stanford, Nadim Hussein, gave this fall entitled, Is Morality Bullshit?, which he admitted was in part a marketing tool to get people to attend the lecture <laughs> during that weekend, Nadim made the point, a good one, that when talking about morality, particularly morality that's in reference to an ultimate reality like God, one in which knowledge is hard to come by, harder to prove and nail down with specificity, that we are best to do our speaking in the way that we would about any other subject that has that kind of relationship to scientific truth or repeatable truth. And that is to do it with humility. Harm is done, as it always has been done, I think, by those who missed that lecture or its equivalent insight. And we, then, sometimes, who feel so keenly that what others said out of a spirit of knowing about God was so hateful or so small or abusive, that we sometimes decided to in response, reject the whole notion of this God, but also just the whole God venture, God, him, her, itself. To others, in response to their ugliness and foolishness, many of us then lost or gave up on the whole endeavor of God. But I think there's a role for God and God talk and the God venture in our shared life. Or I wouldn't have much to say this morning, I guess. It is true, as is written in the I Ching, that God and the devil are both human images. And yet, 
suppose it's also true that many things that we think are important to name and hold up as ideas and ideals that we are in relationship to, things like justice, compassion, equity, courage, those are similar kinds of entities. God is not God's name, but our name, the Reverend Forrest Church used to say. It's our name for that which is dot, dot, dot. And I won't share with you how Forrest Church ended the sentence because that, I think, is exactly where this reconstructive theology, yours, mine, ours, begins. Choosing not to be literalists, biblical or theological, but deciding what it is toward which this name for that which is beyond naming points us to lean or to reach or to be deeper and in more accountable relationship with. What does it point us toward? Our name for what? Because this is where the fun and the power and the age-old but ever-changing, meaning-making, religious venture, at least the God portion of it for me, begins. Forrest also used to say, tell me about the God you don't believe in. I bet I don't believe in him either. (laughs) And I remember a UCC minister, brilliant and cutting edge in their thinking, saying it's so funny how so many people are quick to reject my God and tell me they do, assuming that I believe in a God that no self-respecting progressive has put their stock in for over half a century. And then the minister going on to wonder why so often Unitarian Universalists in particular that they met never bothered to ask them what they mean by the God that they say they believe in, meaning that this minister says they believe in. That assuming, that moment of assumption is not only not really reflective of the spirit of interfaith living that we all, I think, affirm and the love of difference, assumed difference in this moment, but assumed difference that we affirm, but it's, it also shuts down this incredibly fascinating conversation about how we as human beings some of us name this ultimately reality that we are orienting our life in relationship to in fundamental ways. Religion, of course, has always spoken in metaphor and story and parable, this particular kind of language. The conversation about God is in that place. And for most of us, many like the UCC minister, a a literal bearded, white, all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, God in the skies, male who thinks that, I don't know, being gay is a sin and is aligned with the powerful and rewards the good with worldly power, and a host of all other notions about this God, it's bunk. It's using this symbol to justify small visions of who we ought to be and who we ought to be and what we ought to be in relationship to and pointing toward in this life. 
Instead, there are people like Gordon Kaufman, professor who was actually at Pomona for a while and then Harvard Divinity School at the end of his career, who have been clear that the God we spoke of historically was problematic in many cases, as God has been often through time, and needing periodically to be deconstructed as a symbol and reconstructed more to reflect the world that we hope for, not one that is enabling and empowering racism or xenophobia or sexism or crimes against the planet. In fact, in face of mystery is in part Kaufman's effort to walk through a reconstruction of a god for this time. But one thing is clear, he believed that that god had power that this God we struggled to name was a source of power for us, or could be, was for many of us, is. What is that power? To the best of my abilities, I'd say it's twofold for me. For me, God gives me a way to name something that is always somewhat mysterious and beyond my grasp, but that I experience in moments from time to time and always have the thing that other people sense when they say or speak of moments of experiencing holiness or the numinous or deep time, or eternity that descends in a moment of time, takes hold of something ordinary and makes it feel transcendent. These are not scientific experiences that I can nail down the way, the way actually my love for my husband isn't something that I could ever nail down or scientifically repeat. But beyond fully understanding and knowing, beyond my capacities to fully understand and know those experiences, they are something I need to name and be able to talk about as something that's real and that I'm in relationship to and ever seeking to be deeper in relationship to. Even though for me, it will always largely be something mysterious and I'm okay with that. But I need a name for it and a way to talk about it or be in conversation about it with other people working to name similar experiences and insights. And second for me is that the naming for me is also about this metaphor or symbol that in a larger sense points me always beyond myself. A God, you might say, that is not not made in human image, because it always points beyond that which we can know and asks, in the larger sense, for us to continually be reaching beyond what we can know. Which means, to Nadim's point, it always involves naming with an enormous amount of humility and the constant act of self-reflection and accountability to our own humanity and its smallness so that we don't imbue this, this metaphor for something greater with the limits of our own current reality it keeps us striving. 
but also asks us to articulate and lean into our lives into something much greater, the best of our imaginings. God is the metaphor for me that holds all of that. And if I use it with you, and if you are open to that, and we're allowed to talk together about what it is for you and for me, and maybe find where we agree, that's incredibly powerful as a place we can stand anchored together and reach out into the world from. I suppose we don't need God, the Word, to do that. But that's the purpose that it's often served and serves for me. And I'm not inclined to give it up because some people use it differently. It works for me. It speaks of a truth, holds it like a vessel. So it's this symbol for the ultimately mysterious and completely unknowable realities that we glimpse at and ultimate truths that lure us toward them, to use some language of process theology, this thing in us that wants wholeness and harmony, as I think a part of us does, mysteriously, innately. And I think it's something we're always putting more specific detail on the way an iconographer in the Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox Church will put detail on an image. Things that we think we can know that are ever more specific from our experience and intuition that we name with humility always but passionately ready to live into. God is a symbol, a metaphor, a name for that which is beyond any naming. It is then also that which calls us to live into it and strive to incarnate it in very specific ways. And I don't know what brushstrokes might be on your icon, but I think I know some of what might be because we're in this particular faith tradition together because of some of the roots and branches of that tradition and principles that we've all agreed feel right and in our lived experience, our intuitive and spiritual moments have been named as such for us. God is not God's name, but our name, some of us, for that which... Let me take a draft. That which is a force of love beyond bounds. The one we experience from time to time that feels so holy, so precious. That love that always asks us to pay attention to who is outside the circle of acceptance and care. And when we see who is to stretch our hearts and invite one another to stretch theirs to bring those folks inside, and always to believe when we are least inclined to that we also are inside that circle of love, never outside it, no matter what. God is not God's name, but our name for that which is the force of justice in the world, I think, 
calling us to be with it in that work that is about what love looks like in action in public, incarnate in systems and relationships. And as our understanding of this boundless love grows, so then does this work of justice and how it calls us into the world, commands us to be ever seeking to enlarge the circle of dignity and safety and equity. God is not God's name, my people, but it is our name for that which I think connects us. That feeling that we have, you know, sometimes in a crowd of people when we know that we're just one big family, despite our apparent differences, somehow threaded together. And we know it not as an idea, but as this embodied moment of knowing, this epiphany that we're kin. And in those moments, we know that salvation has to happen, only is available when all of us are granted it. And how that sense of interconnection, when we're in tune with it, seems sometimes, too, like a walk in the woods or standing at the edge of a cliff to pull through, or at the ocean's edge, pull through all of life, laces our being through chlorophyll-stained leaves and the sinews of mammals and the plasma of microscopic life hidden in the earth and in the oceans, making their salvation ours too. Can this be a God we can speak of? Can God name, can it hold all the disparate ways we know, experience, reason, argue, hope, dream away to those truths that point beyond what we're living right now, calling us to live into it together humbly and passionately? I think it can. Can we see a vision of it reconstructed, this God, that's not a manipulative lie, but a compass towards which we orient where it is and how it is we want to go together through this life, even if we don't always have a map, but at least a compass, a direction, some place, some way of being in the world that we would be divine to be so in relationship to, so deeply connected to and aligned with that we incarnated it in our very being and all we touched. For me, that's what God is when I speak of God. It's what I pray to connect to in my prayer life. It's what I journal to better understand every morning. It's what I surrender to, asking it to remove my pettiness and to make me more faithful in my servanthood to all that's possible in me and in us and in this. I believe in that God, and I don't know how to describe it, but it's not just an idea. It's this mystical reality that I can't entirely explain, but it anchors me. And to paraphrase the old Osmobile ad, it's not your father's God. <laughs> 
but it is also tied to generations who sought and still seek to name and point and direct their lives towards similar kinds of ventures of the Spirit. They have always been and have, there have always been those who are like us in this work. And many doing so now we could link arms with, of naming what's urgent and naming what's calling to us from beyond what is seen and known and what is begging for us to incarnate it in this gorgeous, aching world. Something we call God. Some of us. If I had been asked about God in 1973, I probably would have hemmed and hawed and talked in puzzling circles. For to me, God was a living concept, very much unable to be expressed in words, something rather to be lived. Most of my time in the army, I was in crisis, mostly for what I was being taught, but also from the ready availability of hard drugs and their accepted use. I was stationed in Panama for most of 1974 and became far too familiar with pharmaceutical solutions. Methamphetamine to make it through a 24-hour guard shift or a forced speed march, downers to finally get some sleep, and so much cocaine I feared for my life. So I tried to get a compassionate reassignment to the United States, but was denied. I slipped more fully into the use and abuse cycle until finally becoming suicidal. I not only despised who I'd become, but lost all hope for change. So I sat down and wrote a goodbye letter to my parents, which I put in my desk. Then I took an intentional overdose of Doradin, a heavy hypnotic tranquilizer, chasing it with beer until the whole bottle was gone. I ended up with 10.6 milligrams in my bloodstream where 4.2 could be fatal. Then I simply went to bed and I thought, this is it. But some powers of the universe wanted me to survive. I ended up in a hospital, dead on arrival, and was actually being wheeled to the morgue when a young doctor named Stephen Brown said, bring him in here for a post-mortem. When he found only beta brainwaves, they pushed the panic button and shocked me back to life. Well, I was breathing and my heart still beating, but I was comatose for four days. And when I finally came around, my father Frank was there. My first coherent thought was, Either he's in Panama or I'm in Michigan. He being a true force of nature, wanting me out of the army and Panama and back in the USA, worked his way up my chain of command all the way to Brigadier General and got us passage on a medical plane to Fort Knox, Kentucky, where I would be placed on an army psychiatric ward for three months. Eventually, when I could talk again, I puzzled up my survival. My dad arranged a phone call to our old American Baptist family friend, Reverend Robert Wallace, out here in Redlands, California. Bob told me in no uncertain terms that God was not finished with me yet, that I'd have a lot of hard work ahead, but rest in the knowledge that God was holding me in her hands. My dad insisted on accompanying me to Kentucky on the military transport that had been arranged. During my time on the ward, I saw lots of pain and pathos and was pleased to bring my empathy and intelligence into this situation. My sense of humor seemed to reemerge, and some spark my minister had instilled in me long ago banked and glowed like coals until I actually recognized myself again. I was released from the army on an honorable discharge under medical conditions, and that was that, except now I could use my GI Bill to study theater arts, this time in the Midwest, 
and the subsequent 45 years as Poindexter the Clown has proving my minister friend right. I had boatloads more to learn and love to share. So you ask me about God? To me, God is whenever a child giggles with glee. I see God in trees and flowers and rainbows and clouds. But the thing I'd forgotten in Panama and would try never to forget again is that God lives in us all, each of us and all of us. And if you ever find yourself so down and out you think you want to end it all, please don't. Instead, connect with our church here and we will find you help. This church is here for you and I, and our hopes and beliefs and faith are the engines that keep us running. Blessings. <laughs>